my mom texted me a couple of months ago asking if I had seen the Pope in Balenciaga. Now, you might remember those infamous images that began circulating online, which, of course, were not real, but the Pope was donning this Balenciaga-style puffer jacket. There's now like 8.7 or 8.8 billion TikTok views of these images. Celebrities have come out, like Chrissy Teigen, saying that she fell for it. And it just kind of really proves that my mom was not alone and that age isn't necessarily a factor here. We're sort of dealing with something a bit bigger. WGSN senior strategist Cassandra Napoli recently published a forecast called AI Futures, a post-truth era. The report examines what is real and what is fake online and how AI is impacting on this. In this episode, we're talking about the key issues everyone could face regarding misinformation and where we're likely to go for trusted sources, as well as how AI will develop in 2023 and beyond. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN, the world's leading trend forecasting company, and you're listening to Lives of Tomorrow. Cassandra, welcome to Lives of Tomorrow. Just so our listeners can get to know you a little better before we delve into this really fascinating and quite terrifying world, can you tell everyone a little bit how you ended up in the job that you have now and any pivotal moments that have affected your career? Yeah. So I like to say I was kind of destined to be a trend forecaster in a way. So in Greek mythology, the name Cassandra was this person was a princess who could see the future, although she wasn't believed. So my goodness, I love that. I've never heard that before. That's such a cool fact. Oh, my goodness. So it was was preordained when your parents chose that name that your life career was already mapped out. That's so cool. Destiny, right? But In actuality, I kind of learned about WGSN just like a lot of our clients did right in college. And I kind of it was very much happenstance. I just sort of ended up here. A friend couldn't do the internship. I did. I was sent to Soho to do street style three days a week. And I, you know, never really left (laughs) ever since then. This is, I guess, a slightly, I was going to say scary, it's not scary, interesting thing that I get to talk to members of WGSN every day. And it's only in this podcast environment where there are hundreds of people listening to us that I found out these interesting facts about members of the team. So that's this is a good start to this podcast. What else are we going to unearth in the next half an hour? Okay, let's get a little bit into the topic. From your research, what's been the most influential or impactful aspect to the misinformation that's spreading. I was going to say on the internet, but it's kind of wider than that. What's really impacting it? Yeah. So initially the idea really stemmed from a couple of conversations I was having with some people in my life. So my mom, who's a boomer, a friend of mine, who's a millennial, both of them are definitely not as chronically online as I am. But what I noticed was that despite their sort of different ages, both fell victim to being fooled by AI recently. So the best example that I give to all of our clients and honestly, everyone on my team is my mom texted me a couple of months ago asking if I had seen the Pope in Balenciaga. Now, you might remember those infamous images that began circulating online, which, of course, were not real, but the Pope was donning this Balenciaga-style puffer jacket. There's now like 8.7 or 8.8 billion TikTok views of these images. Celebrities have come out, like Chrissy Teigen, saying that she fell for it. And it just kind of really proves that my mom was not alone and that age isn't necessarily a factor here. We're sort of dealing with something a bit bigger. 
I think the age thing is really interesting because there is that perception that you're a little bit older and therefore you're more likely to fall foul of some of these, whether it's images or stats or anything. And the fact that it isn't the case, it's proliferating through every single generation, but also the AI is getting more and more sophisticated, which means the ability for us to get duped is also kind of getting, well, I was going to say getting higher, it's also getting lower, the, the kind of barrier to that understanding or the misunderstanding as the case may be. In the forecast that you published recently, you referenced stats like, here's one, 35% of US Gen Z felt confident in detecting false claims online in 2020. Now, from what we've just said here, three years on, has that changed, do you think? Yeah. So I think we've kind of always been dealing with this in terms of being online in the last sort of 10 years. The first phase of this post-truth world was really defined by misinformation campaigns, filtered feeds, the latter particularly, which led to a self-esteem and emotional crisis, particularly for young women, right? Then we had this idea of like human influencers emerging. So virtual talent that really fueled comparison culture in a new way. And we called this sort of panoptic perfection, eventually accelerating the uncanny valley where viewers were sort of unable to decipher what's real and what's fake online. From a social media perspective, post-truth has emerged in a number of ways that we've been tracking online. So one of my favorite examples is that at Coachella in 2023, it was revealed that a number of influencers that said they were there and posted like they were there weren't actually physically at the festival. What they did was they rented Airbnbs in the desert and dressed up in festival wear to make it seem like they were there. So it doesn't always have to be this sort of like manipulation in terms of visuals. It's, it's also warping what we perceive as to be true online. There are some interesting case studies, though, where brands have adopted what we are calling digital care culture. I know that you had an episode dedicated to that a couple of episodes ago now, but there's brands like Dove and CVS that are really paving the way forward, encouraging sort of defiltered or unfiltered norms to emerge. But at the same time, there's been this rise of synthetic media that really exasperated post-truth. So deep fakes originally surfaced online around 2017 on Reddit by usually like typically they were leveraged by a small group of people for really nefarious applications, actually superimposing celebrities onto porn or warping a politician's kind of speech and making it seem like they did something else to warp public perception. But AI capabilities are maturing and they're paving the way for a sort of second phase of this post-truth era in which there is a mass participation in synthetic media, making it more and more difficult for real, like, I guess, reality to surface, right? So there are 35% of Americans, as you said, who are unable to determine real photos from AI-generated images with tools like ChatGPT and MidJourney really empowering everyday people to become creators with the option to rewrite and rewrite history and reality, really, from a new vantage point, almost culminating in a world where there could be multiple versions of the trending truth, all of which could be believable to the masses, which is really, really dangerous. Now, I think for many people listening in, and I'm sitting here with my my mouth open for a lot of what you've just said. I mean, it started with a Coachella example, which is quite funny, but still sort of shocking in a inverted commas kind of way. But then when that moves through to it's having an impact on elections, it's having an impact on people's mental health as well. I mean, these are all different aspects of essentially at the heart, the same thing that misinformation is spreading and it's easier for it to spread. How do you think that as humans, we are going to grapple with this? Is it that we have to take courses that the World Health Organization are putting in so that we are 
better prepared? Do we now have to question literally everything that we read and see in front of us? Or do you think this is when legislation is going to come in and try and provide a degree of protection? So that's a multi-pronged question. I think there's a lot to actually consider here. Your first area of that question, or your first bit of that question was, how do you think we'll be able to sort of cope with that? And I think that the research is really early. You know, we don't know how we're going to be able to navigate this space. There's some, some press that's been out there that says that, you know, our memories are being warped. And if people are rewriting history and rewriting reality, what is that going to do to us long term? I think the biggest kind of takeaway here is that there are real world implications for fake media. So in May, a fake image of an explosion at the Pentagon in the U.S. actually caused the stock market to temporarily dip in real time because it was exploding online. But the image was turned out to be fake, of course. There's also a big threat around new era of scamming, which is a real big top concern. There's 70 percent of Americans that say they actually already have been victims of AI. And one way this is already surfacing is via voice cloning. So scammers essentially are replicating the voices of an individual to create sort of faux hostage videos, ultimately getting in touch with their families, encouraging them to spend money. And there's a whopping 207 million views attached to this concept on TikTok with a lot of people really pushing everyday families to develop safe words to avoid falling victim to this. And then from a legislation perspective, we're seeing kind of two sides merge. So in one sense, we're seeing governments really step up and start to look to protect people from post-truth content online. So in 2023, France actually proposed a new law that would make it illegal for an influencer to share an edited or filtered image without disclosing it. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be an AI-generated image, but it shows where we're kind of moving in, in the direction of what, in which we're moving. But it really doesn't stop there. So in the U.S., we are even seeing new legislation emerge with Democrats proposing a bill demanding the disclosure of AI in political ads ahead of this next election cycle coming up next year which will be the first, actually, in an era of democratized AI creativity, which could be a real devastating threat to democracy. And then the final part to your question around what we can do is we're going to start to see a little bit of an investment in media literacy start to take off. So from an educational perspective, so a recent study found that 50% of adults in the U.S. aged 19 to 81 did not learn any media literacy schools back in high school. But there are some interesting stats to consider. So 75% of kids get their first phone by the age of 12. And the age of adulthood on the internet is effectively 13. And that's the age at which users can join social platforms. When you take into account that 40% are already active users between the ages of 8 and 12, there is a huge need to develop media literacy programs now as the threat of AI-generated falsities loom. So in 2023, New Jersey opted to actually lead the charge with the development of the country's first mandate for media literacy amongst K-12 students. It's really interesting that in a very short period of this conversation, we've started talking about AI and truth, and now we're coming through to educational policies, which just shows how wide-reaching the impact of this is. But none of this is new. I mean, it's coming back. I mean, you've you've cited a few stats from a few years ago, the concept of fake news, which feels like, again, a few years ago, we're now all comfortable. We know what fake news means. It is overused by politicians an awful lot. But 
we've gotten comfortable with the fact, I'm saying we, that's a broad brushstroke, but people know that that exists and perhaps facts that they are hearing are not necessarily going to be true. But AI is not new either. What is it about right now that you think there's this tipping point that now this is the this is a, this is front page news. This is a topic of conversation lots of people are having. It is something that governments are leaning into. Why is it right now? Why wasn't it a few years ago? We are in more of a truth or trust crisis than ever before. If you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, distrust is now the default emotion. And it's if you really let that sink in for a moment, that's a big statement. And as AI is maturing in real time, I think that's perhaps the biggest difference that just the maturation of AI is just accelerating at such a rapid speed now. Back a couple of years ago, it was perhaps the tools that existed weren't as democratized. They perhaps weren't as impressive. And now you can create really, you know, impressive work. You can get ChatGPT to work for you and work with you and you can get mid-journey to design things that don't exist. And so there's this kind of democratization of everybody gets to be a creator in this world. And as AI matures, moving beyond this gimmick, the cost of creating quality content will inevitably go down while its believability will rise. So if you look at how Dolly 2 now generates images that are, I think, four times as detailed as the first Dolly version, that's a big difference and it's only going to get better. And so I think that is kind of why we're in this new warped reality of modern life. There are some experts predicting that 90% of online content could be AI generated by 2026, which is really scary considering that a third of internet users are unable to distinguish true from false content online. Okay, we are going to come back to this because there's still a lot more to say, um, but we're going to jump into some questions I ask all my guests so people get to know you even more. And none of these are AI related at all. When and how do you prioritize yourself? I prioritize myself by going for a run or a long walk pretty much as often as I can, try to do it daily. Getting outside is super important and it's really just an opportunity to zone out and turn my mind off, listen to music, a podcast, or just some silence, which I've been doing recently, which has been really great. Honestly, it goes back to the ideas we've been forecasting a bit. So things like the link between nature and awe and then awe and well-being. So that's kind of top concern for me. Or walks, absolutely my favorite thing. (laughs) I don't know whether we coined that phrase, but I've definitely utilized it when presenting WGSN forecasts and an all walk going up and just looking at some trees. That is my daily kind of medicine for life. Definitely, I agree with that. A slightly different one. What will you eat if you're at home alone and no one is watching? I've got a bit of a dangerous sweet tooth, actually. So I just sort of dive right into whatever sweet treat is on my counter. And whether whether I'm alone or not, honestly, my friends will poke fun at me because I always say I need a sweet treat post-dinner. Like, it's necessary to end my day in that way. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think it's because I grew up in a family where we didn't have those things in the household. So, like, dessert, pudding was a piece of fruit and so now I'm a grown-up or I like think I'm a grown-up it's like I can have something like a little bit better than that or a little bit worse again depending on when you're worrying about the calories or not what is your bad habit so I cover digital futures as a trend forecaster so you can probably imagine that where I'm going with this is that I'm chronically online constantly I think because of the fact that it's often hard for me to quiet my mind and turned it off so 
I, if you look at sort of like my saved folders on Instagram, my image library, my notes app, my DMs with some colleagues, shout out to Andrea Bell. They're honestly filled to the brim with ideas and signals. And I think that's just part of the territory that comes with being a trend forecaster actually, in that you're just sort of not, you're always trending and mind mapping as you walk through life every day. I will say though that I've been trying to be a bit better about this, taking space to go offline. So there's a pocket of Gen Z I recently wrote about that I'm super fascinated by. They embrace low and no tech or dumb tech. And I think that as we move into a digital care culture future, that we can actually learn a bit from them. What was the last thing that intrigued you? Well, in line with this conversation on AI, I'll stick to the theme and say the rise of AI for city planning or urban development is really interesting to me. So much of the AI work out there is chalked up as gimmick in this experimental phase that we're in, but some creatives are actually beginning to showcase how it could be applied for real world solutions. So there's been this a lot of press around this guy, actually, Zach Katz. He's an artist who's gotten a lot of attention. He leverages Dali 2 to reimagine cities as pedestrian-friendly zones. So he shares a Google Street View address with the AI, instructs it, you know, to add or remove certain elements, suggesting a new way for designing cities in the future. And he has this Twitter account and he takes audience requests now, which I think is really interesting. You see, that's nice. That's a positive side of this. And I do think there are so many aspects of positivity that will be driven by AI. And it's always that balance that we need to be aware of the pitfalls and we need to be aware of the dangers that come with it. But there is some really great, amazing things which are going to help humankind in the future. So we'll come back to that in a second because I have one more reoccurring question for you. What was the last series you binged? I have two answers to this. First, I'm a comfort media person that obviously looks very different for different people. But for me, it's nostalgic shows that I watched while I came of age. It's comforting. I know how it ends. It's easy on the mind. So the OC I've just rewatched, actually. But I guess my slightly more interesting response is that I'm a bit of a nerd and I like the sort of Netflix series that are really techie or science focused. So think the Mind Explained series like that. But recently I stumbled on a 12-part series called The Future Of, which is really fitting in our line of work, obviously. And I'm making my way through it now. But this program I just watched was The Future of Dogs. And it talked about things like pet translation, which I find super, super interesting. Do you know I would love that. I'll give you my my like comfort watching at the moment, which I've just binge watched, which is Colin from Accounts. Have mm. you heard about this series? It's from Australia. It's so good. I've had quite a few plane journeys recently and I've managed to watch the whole of the first series and it's really, it's just very gentle, just makes you laugh. And when you're talking and thinking about these really big topics, this is a really nice way of just grounding you. So there's my gift to you and I'll go and watch The Future of Dogs as a a barter on this one. Okay, let's get back into what we've been talking about. So before we jumped into the recurring questions, we were talking, well, we talked about governments and we've also talked about how we as individuals are going to have to try and take some responsibility for this or we will sort of be forced to. What about the social media platforms? Where do they come in in terms of taking or having responsibility? Yeah, we've talked a little bit about digital care culture, right? So the idea that in the future, we're going to start to see from a social media perspective, rather, we're going to see parents and government and 
brands working in tandem together as this sort of trifecta to protect young users. We talked about how the age of the internet is 13. Now, if you add in the idea that AI content is, there's possibly going to be 90% of online content being AI generated by 2026, there's a real danger to that, right? The ability to decipher reality from fiction from a young person's perspective as they come of age in this era is really, really interesting and really, really something we're going to have to watch. We talk about millennials being digital first and Gen Z being digital native. And we talked about Zalphas being kind of digital first. They're growing up alongside the metaverse and things like that. But what's interesting to me is what the next generation brings, right? So alphas and then eventually betas that come behind them. What will their perception of the world look like if everything is AI generated online? Even things like like our movies, for example. So technology and movies. The rise of de-aging technology is really interesting from my perspective. So the latest Indiana Jones has Harrison Ford actually de-aged to 35. It's not new, but it is warping audiences at perception of the truth. So there's a new film called Bo is Afraid with Joaquin, Freen- with Joaquin Phoenix. And there's a 16-year-old who plays a young Joaquin Phoenix in the movie. And he actually had to go to his Instagram bio and state that he's a real human because viewers thought that he was a de-aged Phoenix in the film, which I thought was huge. So back to kind of circling back to your question, I think that there's a massive opportunity here for brands and platforms and governments to step up and do the right thing. And I think digital care culture as a concept and what we talk about on Insight a lot of rewilding the Internet, making the Internet safer and more of a kind of welcoming and and just all around safer experience for young users is going to be central moving forward. Where does our imagination go with this? Because you know, as you're growing up, you know, I do it with my stepkids, you know, we draw and we imagine. And that's a part of kind of exercising your creative muscles. Does all of that disappear in this world? If you can just type a few things in and then you can imagine all sorts of, well, the computer AI will imagine these things for you. Are we going to never have real artists again? Or is this an opportunity where the the things that are actually done by humans will take on a greater value because they aren't relying on AI to create beautiful music or create beautiful art. I have a kind of two part answer to that. So the first is that we're, we've been forecasting imagination as a key theme for 2025. Strategic imagination, it's in a bunch of our forecasts. Part of that is accelerated with synthetic creativity, which is AI-generated content, right? And so we're starting to see brands and creators, this idea of the AI co-creator economy emerge. And what that's doing is it's reimagining storytelling, but it's also potentially creating a massive PR threat for a lot of brands. So one example I give often is in May, a spoof Balenciaga, a Balenciaga ad actually emerged that had AI generated Harry Potter characters. And the ad wasn't actually trickery, like you knew it was fake, but the concept of it could have been something that Balenciaga put out itself because Balenciaga has a history of engaging and experimenting with synthetic media, some of their past campaigns. So in that regard, it was It was confusing to even somebody like me who is very ingrained in this space. 
There's also a company called Brand AI, so B-R-X-N-D.ai, where site visitors can actually pay for what's called collab credits, which unlock the ability to create AI-generated faux brand campaigns and collaborations and products, actually, from over 600 different brand combos. So you can go in and say Barbie and Prada and come together and create this campaign that's AI-generated, but it doesn't actually exist. So there's a PR threat there in that sense. But from the other side, what you were saying, I don't think imagination goes away. I actually have been tracking this something that we're calling altruistic AI. So AI being leveraged in almost meaningful ways with the intent to maybe do some good or make us think about things differently. So there's three examples I actually call out in this report, but it kind of centers on people and planet, but also creating blurred realities between life and death, actually. So my favorite example is the World Wildlife Fund. They rolled out an exhibit called The Future of Nature that leveraged AI to imagine two possible futures for the UK. So there was 20 images, some depicted life if people act on climate change now, and other images showed the realities of doing absolutely nothing and what that would look like for the UK going forward. All of it was false imagery, but with very real implications. And it was actually displayed on 3D digital out-of-home screens in Piccadilly Circus in London, really pressuring the passerbys to reflect on these two realities amidst a very consumption-driven area of London, which I thought was really interesting. I referenced the fact I was a journalist in my past life. And if you look at how the media world has evolved, social media came along and everyone said newspapers would die, magazines would die, and they haven't. Now, they've gone through tough times. They've had to evolve. They're still having to evolve. They're having to find new revenue streams. But there is still quality content. People, people will actually pay for that now. And the big exposés, the reason that we understand how AI and false news has changed election results or had an impact on those really serious topics is because there are people and there are organisations out there to hold everybody to account. And so I guess the glass half full side of me, and I do tend to err on that side, believes that we will find ways because consumers, humans, individuals will put pressure on that situation because we do like transparency. And actually, while this might be a post-truth world, information does spread and therefore the correct information will spread as well. So as I said, there are definite positives within this. And even with some of the terrifying, scary things that you've highlighted today, I certainly believe that there's a there's a positive route out of this, or not even out of it, a positive way forward. And whether that's governments, whether that's individuals, whether that's media organisations that have to step up, everyone is at least having the conversation at the moment. Now, you've done way more research than I have into this. And I guess this is a question I ask everyone you know, on these podcasts. Are you more anxious or are you more hopeful about the future knowing what you do know? Yeah, I mentioned a bit earlier on this concept of trend tension, and I talk about it here and I bring it up because I think it applies to this question really nicely, actually, because I feel both anxious and hopeful, which I think is natural given the kind of work that I do and the type of topics I look into. So I spend a lot of my time online, which is a barrage of bad news and doom scrolling, right? We know the stats. We talked about them earlier. Doom and gloom performs better on apps like, uh, platforms like Twitter, rather. And there's just generally a lot to be anxious about in this polycrisis era that we're living in. I think AI compounds some of those crises, honestly. However, that's not to say there's not also things to be hopeful for. I think from an AI perspective in general, I think the ability to accept 
expand our imagination. Synthetic creativity really unlocks new imaginative worlds. And that's something that we're forecasting to really emerge in 2025. And I think that is a great opportunity and a, a good kind of new world of storytelling that could be really huge. Even like what we talked about earlier, de-aging actors and things like that, it just opens up new possibilities. But at the same time, it's also really important to be mindful of the ethics concerns. So I would say I'm a bit torn at the moment, but perhaps as time goes on and the maturation of AI continues, I'll, I'll kind of lean into more hopeful, maybe, hopefully. <laughs> And that is it for today. Thank you to my guest, senior strategist at WGSN, Cassandra Napoli. The Lives of Tomorrow podcast will be back in two weeks, but next Friday, you can listen to our sister podcast, Create Tomorrow, all about the future of design and products. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're with us for the first time, a big welcome and thank you so much for listening. We're here every other Friday with a new episode about societal and cultural trends and how they impact our lives of tomorrow. If you're a regular, as I said, it'd be great if you leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it as it helps us know how we're doing. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSM. I'll see you next time. 